Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Amanda De Jesus. Amanda is one of the co-hosts of Unfiltered Survivors podcast. She is a heart transplant recipient, and she's actually on the list for another heart and kidney. She's also a chef, and all of her culinary journey has been inspired by her own wellness journey. So Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. It's been a while in the making because I have been following you for some time and I hope uh, fellow Spoonies who are listening to the show today have also been following you. Um, And I'd love to start at the very beginning of your health story, as we (laughs) often do on the show here, and find out um, if you could tell us when and how you first realized or your family realized perhaps that you were sick and what steps you took to control your health. Uh, It was definitely family realized. Um, My story actually begins before I was even born. I have an older sister. And at three years old, she was diagnosed with a hole in the top of her heart. And they did a surgery to repair it. She's been fine ever since. She's almost, oh, she is 35 years old. Mm. But they told my mom, have another baby. It'll never happen again. So my mom (sighs) has me. Yay. And as soon as I was born, I was instantly sick. They couldn't figure out at first, but they figured it out. And within seven days old, I had my first open heart surgery where they repaired a hole in the bottom of my heart. Oh, wow. So I had the same situation my sister did. I just, mine was in the ventricles, hers was in the atrium. And so ironically, that wasn't true. And then as I got older, my uh, health progressively got worse. My heart began to fail more. And in my teenage years, probably around 12 or 13, I was actively playing sports and at school and everything. And I didn't feel any symptoms, but I went in for a physical to continue to play sports. And while I was there at the cardiologist, they uh, found that I had what they called dilated cardiomyopathy, which means my heart was enlarged and my heart wasn't pumping enough blood to my brain. And they were surprised I hadn't passed out playing sports yet. And so they put in a pacemaker 
And within a year of me having this pacemaker at 12 years old, mind you, so all the sports were taken away, everything was gone. And within a year of me having the pacemaker, I was living 95% off of the pacemaker. It was doing all the work. My heart was completely failing and gone. So then that's when they would put me on the transplant list. I would wait in hospital for about three months. And then I would get my heart um, at the age of 15. So uh, I successfully, I will say, did pretty well. Yeah, and you're um, coming up on 17 years with this heart. Right? Yeah. So I would say, I, for, and I still can, even, even as I'm relisted, I still consider that pretty well. Cause I mean, they say the average heart transplant lasts about 10 years. So the fact that I've made it past that is a miracle in itself. So I, I, I have no regrets, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So now you're on the list for a heart and a kidney. Why both organs? Well, after all these years of immunosuppressants um, and other drugs, it pretty much killed my kidneys. Of all the years of them having to process all those medications, my kidney function had dropped down to a ridiculous rate. Um, but honestly, we didn't know that until we started to just do my workup for a heart transplant because I had started to develop or my heart started to harden. In theory, what I say, I'm heart transplant old. So it isn't anything other, there's nothing I could have done to prevent this. It isn't rejection. It isn't, it's truly because of the time and just what happens to transplants at times and it began to harden and it's not pumping as well. So over time, it'll continue to get worse. And while we were doing the workup, that's when we noticed that my kidney function was something insane, like below 17%. Wow. So then I immediately got on dialysis and now I'm currently still on doing dialysis three days a week, but I got on the kidney list along with the heart. And you're doing this in the midst of a global pandemic. So what is, so what's dialysis looking like? Is that, are you doing that at home or are you doing it in office? No, I chose to continue to do it in the clinic. Um, I, cause I just feel like with my heart condition, I rather have a nurse around and my insurance won't cover for the nurse to come and the machine. So to be wow. honest, yeah. so no, but that's, doing, I mean, that's such an interesting factor, isn't it? That like, that's yeah. actually a block to your health. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I do it in clinic, which I, I enjoy it. They put a lot of parameters in place. I feel very safe there. I will say they definitely, we were already spread far apart just naturally before the pandemic, but now we're even more spread apart. Um, it's more uh, people in there. There's no more gas. No one can really come back. We get checks before we can even go back. Um, lots of hand washing, lots of hand sanitizer. All of the uh, employees wear PPE. So, I mean, everyone is very big and safe there. I will say we're pretty good about that. Uh, knock on wood. So I have no complaints, but I still go to dialysis three days a week during this yeah. pandemic. <laughs> really amazing. So, I mean, you mentioned that your parents were sort of the ones to notice that something was up to you, up with you, with, with your health. Did they act as advocates for you in these early stages when you were a kid and going through all of these health issues? Oh yeah. My mom totally stepped up. Ironically, my mom works in the healthcare industry. So um, when we had healthcare insurance issues where they didn't want to cover the transplant. So like literally the company that she worked for didn't want to cover my transplant. So they didn't so, want to keep you alive. Essentially. Yeah. They, this well, is like insurance they, being they like, sorry, to, you're dying. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they wanted us to move to these cities that we've never been before because they had better deals with that transplant center. Wow. Luckily my mom knew people and 
had a whole thing and eventually we got the coverage we needed. But Mm. uh, so she always was in the healthcare field. So she definitely, when I was all the way, you know, for many years, but while being my advocate, she also helped teach me how to be my own advocate so that when it was my turn and then she wanted to take a step back, I was ready for that. So, but she definitely, I would say at least for the first 18 years minimum, she definitely stepped up and helped and was advocating for me. Yeah, that's amazing. So how has that impacted your relationship? Has that made you closer, do you think? Oh, yeah. Like my mom is one of my best friends. We we drive each other crazy, but we've been together. I mean, every hospital stay. When I was a kid, she used to spend the night like she was there around the clock. And now as an adult, even when I get hospital stay, she's there for a pretty long time. I finally get her to go home, but she's still there and very much involved. She's still my number one caretaker. And I don't I don't see her losing that spot. Even if I were to get married, I still think that she would still she's not giving that spot up. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not arguing. Yeah. So um, we know that your life sort of drastically changed when you were about 12, 15, um, in that sort of age range. And I'm wondering at this stage, as you're waiting for this new heart and kidney, what is a typical day looking like for you? How are you balancing the demands of work and life as you're managing potential health concerns and mortality concerns? Um, I will say I definitely slowed down even pre pandemic. I, once I got diagnosed and listed at first I was trying to maintain, but then I realized that I was wiping myself out, like into a point where I was literally putting myself in the hospital because I was so exhausted, so much fluid retention. And I had to teach myself about kidney because I've been on a heart journey for 30 years, but I, I knew nothing about the kidney besides the obvious stuff that anyone would know. So I had to go and learn more about dialysis and kidney and learning how to control my fluids and how I had to eat completely different because I was in one lifestyle for so long and then I had to take on this kidney diet, which is the worst, and learning and teaching myself that. So I took a step back from a lot of the stuff that I was doing and focused solely on myself, which helped out to be able to then now add more work-life balance. But typical days were just like getting up, taking medicine. I go to dialysis for four hours come home and then some days I'm still full of energy and I can go do things and whatever and other days I'm so drained like all I can do is take a nap so really it just bases on how well the treatment went that day decides more or less what I do I try to still cook dinner and stuff like that especially once the pandemic hit we didn't really go out so then I started cooking and baking more which has been good and bad but you know it's been kind of just taking a step back because at one point I remember being way more busier than this and it was a lot harder Absolutely. And so your wellness journey has totally influenced your career as well, because you became a chef because you had to be on a heart healthy diet early on, and now you're on this kidney diet. So how has that fed into your wellness journey um, with all this knowledge of nutrition? Well, I didn't know anything about food and I was struggling with the heart healthy diet and I was totally had a different plan on life. And while I was at my college visit, I said, I don't want to do this. I'm going to become a chef. My mom freaked out. Once I got her to calm down, she let me go do it. And I got my culinary degree at the Art Institute. I even went and studied abroad in China for a semester and then came back. And then I just started working in the industry. But still being a transplant patient, no matter how well you feel, 
16 hours in the kitchen in that heat, it just was too much. So I had to figure out something else. And so I went back and started working at the hospital that I was actually going to in their kitchen, because I had a goal of making hospital food taste better because anyone I was going to say, knows. thank goodness you're there. Those patients yeah. must be so grateful for you. Yeah. Cause it's horrible. And yeah. they, I don't, so I was like, I have to find a way to make this taste better. Cause I just can't do it anymore. So I started working there, but then I started to get sick just naturally and so I had to take a step back and they started you know this is like I would say the beginning stages of what would be where I am now and so when I took a step back I still wanted to help people and I realized how much of a struggle it is so then that's when I started just mentoring and coaching and helping other transplant transplant patients with the diet so going either whether it's grocery shopping teaching cooking classes um doing um just going and cleaning out someone's pantry or just sitting at an appointment and discussing them things with them. Uh, Some people have sent me their favorite recipes and I converted it to heart healthy so they can still eat the things they love. So that's what I just use my knowledge with just to help people because I want, that's all I wanted to do because I know I struggled with it. My mom struggled with it when she was trying to feed me. And so I'm like, there has to be a better avenue. And not that there's not dietitians, they are, but sometimes I didn't always get a lot of my dietitian one, but two, I don't feel like they, they understand the struggle. You can hand me a million pamphlets, but it's not until like, if I didn't know how to cook, it's not until you're in the grocery store, like, what do I eat? They're like, I don't even know what to grab. I don't know how to read a nutritional label. That's not something we learn. So I even help teach people how to read a nutritional label so they can read the sodium and the calories and all the different things. So that's where I kind of took my career. So it was more where I can plan my own schedule based on mm. my health. And much more about coaching and advocating for others yes. from a very human perspective, which is really amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So have you been in situations where you've been forced to validate the existence of your chronic illness to people who didn't understand it because they couldn't see? I mean, I presume you're walking around with a shirt most days, so nobody can see, you know, the scar, right, from your heart transplant. So what is that like when you're in situations where people just don't get it because they can't see it? Uh, even when I have a low cut shirt and you can see the scar, they still don't know what it is. Um, I will say that, but, uh, it's, I've had many circumstances where they just kind of look at me like I'm crazy. They don't believe me. They say the stereotypical things like you're so young, that's impossible. Or you look so great. And I will say my younger days, I used to get really mad and be like, what does that look like? What am I supposed to look like then? What is, am I supposed to be a different color? Like, what is the look that you have of a transplant patient? Because I'm it and I know many others that look all different ways and we're all still it. It isn't that isn't what ties us together. So I'm like, I go back to there is no face of disabilities or illnesses, period. There is not one look. There's all kinds of different, you know, things and you just have to figure it out. But I've dealt with it many times because I've been dealing with it since I was a kid. So I remember being a teenager and them not even believing me that I had a transplant. They're like, oh no, you're lying. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not lying. Like, this is true. I had a heart transplant because I used to have to wear a mask before it was a thing years ago. And ironically, when I first got my transplant, it was around when SARS happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. And so I'm wearing a mask and I go to the store, I think to Christmas shop that year. And I'm walking into the mall and this person was like, oh my God, why are you wearing a mask? Do you have SARS? And, and I'm like, also, no, I tra- is it your business? Yeah, like- <laughs> I had a transplant, right? And yeah. then as I'm continuing on my journey, because it became a thing all day, this little girl asked her mom why I was wearing a mask. And her mom said, because I had germs that I didn't want to give to them. And I said, no, you have germs that you can't give to me. I had a <laughs> transplant. And she yeah, was I like, oh, that. sorry, sorry. I'm like, yeah. 
well, why would you even just like, why was that your response? So mm. I've dealt with it in many ways before the mask was a thing. Now I can wear my mask and no one even gives a crap. But, but back then wearing a mask back in 2003 and four, that was a big deal. And everyone was kind of freaked out by it and they couldn't understand why. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think, I mean, it sounds like certainly you've had in mind this idea of like, what is the look of a chronic illness patient, yeah. you know, like, and this concern about presentation. And I'm wondering you know, especially in the healthcare system, have you experienced either prejudice or privilege um, based on the way you look? And do you think maybe your circumstances would be different if you presented otherwise? I mean, specifically, like you're a woman of color, you're going into the doctor's office. You know, do you think your experience of heart transplant might be different if you were a white male? Oh, yeah, because it's more stereotypical. I mean, heart disease, period, is considered a white man's disease. Uh, When you think of heart attack symptoms, they automatically just assume your arm goes numb. Like, it's all based off of a white man. It isn't until AHA came along more recently with their Go Red movement that I think is going on for, like, 12 years now that they talked about the difference, how heart disease is the number one killer of women and how heart attack symptoms look different in a woman than a man and started to talk about that difference. But for years, it's that. And then it's like, is it? my family history. And that's the thing. It's not even in my family history. Besides me and my sister, no one else in our family has heart disease and they never have. So we were the starts of that. And since then, no one has. But so there's all these stereotypes of where it came from. Well, then maybe it's in your genetics. I'm like, no, but it's not. It's just it luck of the draw here, kid. Like, that's all I can ever say. But I mean, just being at the hospital and the differences and if it weren't for the way that my mom is able to speak and the fact that she does know English, we would have a lot different of a journey, I will be honest with you, because we've even been in the hospital and watched people who were of our, you know, nationality of being Hispanic, Latino, and having issues, and my mom having to translate because they won't even go get a translator for them. So, and my mom's like, well, let me go ahead and help these people because she knows the struggle. So I definitely, you know, I, the hospitals are now a little bit better with translators, but I definitely know back in the day, it was a lot harder, and it was just a lot different to be, you know, and having this transplant, having to now navigate by ourselves because there weren't even many people we could go to to ask because they didn't understand or Mm. understand the struggle of paying for medications. My prescriptions back in the day used to cost us a thousand dollars a month. That's not cheap. It's unbelievable. My mom isn't made of money and she was a single mom. And so it was very much a struggle for us and people didn't understand. Like it was as if we should just be able to get this out of thin air and that, that wasn't the case for us. Well, and also, I mean, you mentioned this, this concept also that at, at one stage, your insurance company, especially when you were a kid and needed the transplant, you know, your insurance company wanted you to move to a different city. So they wanted your, you and your entire family to uproot yourselves and -hmm. move somewhere else. So this idea that like, because of the privatization of healthcare, because you've been at the mercy of health insurance companies, Mm -hmm. you have luckily been able to your mom and and she's taught you, you've been able to uh, stand up for yourselves and get what you've needed and have yes. make the system work for you. But anyone else would have had to actually expend a lot more money, time and energy moving somewhere else, getting a new career, starting fresh again in order just to get coverage and to be considered someone who's deserving of a transplant when you're literally dying of heart disease, right? Yeah, you're literally, I mean, I'm literally in ICU in a hospital bed 
trying to finish my work up to get listed and the insurance company is like, well, why don't you move to Philadelphia or like these random places? And mom's like, I don't know anyone there. It's me and my kids. She's sick. How are you even going to get her there? No. Like, so the fact that that's even a thing, and I can tell you right now that part of the issue, and it's always something that my mom and I discuss is that when I transitioned to adult care, all of my baby and went away. So like at the children's hospital, it's nothing but lollipops and candy, but they do everything for me. My coordinator scheduled all my appointments called in my refills like I really didn't have to do much then you become an adult that's all on you you got to schedule your own biopsies you have to schedule your own appointments and if I didn't have a mom who helped me transition to adult care I would have got lost I've literally have transplant friends that I grew up with that are no longer here because they got lost they didn't have the support system they didn't know health care and they didn't know that they're you know when they got a job if their insurance didn't cover our already pre-existing doctors they couldn't go to them they didn't understand prescription coverage so we're not they're not learning about health care they have this transplant and they just stopped taking their meds they couldn't get their meds and they went into rejection and they passed away so there's definitely a loss in child care to adult care in bridging and teaching that because not everyone has the family and support behind them and the sad part is these are these are and I know of three young men, all of color, who all died from getting lost in the system because they didn't have the family support, they didn't have the financial means to transition to adult care. And once they got there, they got so lost, they gave up and they just stopped going. Hmm. That's so sad, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I'm wondering, would you would you say that, you know, racial and gender inequality, as well as this issue with the bridging the gap from pediatric to adult care. Yeah. Would you say that all of these issues in the healthcare system are a public health crisis? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I didn't have who I had on my corner, I don't know if I would be able to say I was here se- almost 17 years later. Mm-hmm. I'm just being honest. Like, if I didn't have the mom who was willing to fight and do and learn healthcare and, and chose to have a career in healthcare, but if she didn't have a career in healthcare, we wouldn't know half the stuff we knew to know how to do the loopholes because they're going to put you on hold. They're going to tell you no. And if you don't know how to continue to go up that system, you give up. And then what happens? You can't afford it. GoFundMe isn't a lifestyle that is only, mm-hmm. and it's not realistic. So it, it helps in a, an immediate thing and that's it. But that's not, if you're a transplant patient, these costs are forever. So yeah, a GoFundMe or any kind of fundraising helps for only a minimum amount of time, but I still got to pay those prescriptions every month. And for the rest of your life. Yeah. For the rest of my life and however long that is. And hopefully for a lot longer. I mean, I got transplanted as a kid, people get transplanted at different ages, but no. So I definitely think that we have a public health crisis and that's just me and transplant. That's not me having cancer or diabetes or any other chronic illness that there may be. That's just me and transplant. Yeah. I'm wondering also, like, how does it feel to know that as a human being and as a patient that you can't really rely on the medical system, you know, but, but that the blocks there are because of insurance companies, it sounds like that's the real issue, right? Like, what is that as a patient? What is that feeling that you walk away with when you have to deal with the healthcare system on this level? Is it like a lack of trust? Is it sadness? Is it confusion? Is it anger? Uh, it's it's anger, it's frustration, and mm. it's sad because I it, like I look at it like this: like I didn't fight my sorry if I curse, I didn't fight my no, ass please. off. I didn't fight my ass off for you to now make it really difficult for me to 
for me to thrive because it's one thing if I don't want to take care of myself or if things happen out of my control, but this is something that you're literally controlling and you're just controlling it because it's off of money and greed. It's not even about anything. I, it's a necessity. I'm not asking for something that, that I don't actually need. I need the medication. I need that test. I need to be in the hospital for X, Y, and Z. And, and it's real easy to like, well, there's social security disability, and that's a whole other beast that is so messed up in the way that they lack of helping people. But I mean, it's just the private insurance is definitely based off of money and greed and what and how minimal they have to put out to for you to get whatever you need. And a transplantation needs a lot, and they don't want to do it. So that's why they want you to go to places that they have the cheapest deals with that cost them the less. But mind you, doesn't matter how you feel or how it's going to help you or benefit you. That's hmm. angering, frustrating, and it just every time I have to deal with that, I, my mom already knows like I'm going to get really upset. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, this is really interesting because this is a lifetime of dealing with it, and we spend our lifetimes trying not to get stressed by things, especially when you have a heart condition. Exactly. So I imagine that's a constant rebalance as yes. well. Sort of yes. have to work through the mental and emotional side of it, which yeah. is an issue that is literally caused by the system. So that's not an issue that you've created or that you're responsible for, but you have to be responsible for it in order to remain healthy and yes. in order to find ways to make the best of your situation. I mean, is this the kind of thing that like, makes you, I mean, hearing stories like this makes me just, I've bemoaned the state of this country and healthcare in this country. And like hearing that you knew three men who died because of this, you know, like this is, so there are people dying at the hands of the system. Uh, The system is not giving people healthcare as a human right. I mean, where do we go from here? Like, can we ever fix it? You think? I, I, well, when you see these other countries who have universal healthcare and they seem to be doing very well. Well, you it. could probably think about buying a plane ticket, I'm sure. It, it's just like why I don't I don't believe you when you tell me that it's impossible for this to happen, for us to mm-hmm. have universal health care. It's it's not true. You just don't want to do it. And yeah. I just that that wraps up that whole like politics and money and all that. It just infuriates me because this is literally people's lives. I'm not the only one being affected, and you're literally letting people die because of what? Because at the end of the day, there's no amount of money that's worth someone else's life. It's not. Mm. And you only seem to care when it affects you personally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just, that's not right. Yeah. Can you see any concrete ways to help change the system, improve the system? Or are there any ways that the system actually does work? Because it sounds like it's just so broken beyond repair at this point. I mean, it, it's pretty bad, but I mean, I there always are always something that works. I think... The immediate thing I think that the hospital should consider for transplant programs, period, to have a transitional program from pediatric to adult care. That's just universal for everybody. I definitely think that every transplant center, regardless of your organ, should have that because it's going to be a culture shock, period, for anybody. I mean, I've all kinds of transplants have told me their horrible stories as they transitioned over. So that's anybody. I think that that's something that healthcare doesn't even have to fix, but in theory, they'll have to cover it. And that's where you need them involved because they're going to have to cover the transition of having a pediatric doctor and an adult care doctor in the same room and working together to transition you. So Mm. that's where things that they are, but anything that costs them, they're not going to do. But there's so many things that they could do. They're just not going to, if it costs them money, they're not going to do it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because if they could keep people healthy, they'd actually probably save money. I mean, the data shows us that if they could keep people healthy and work more toward preventive solutions, then they would actually spend less money, but it's more about the immediate cost than the long-term 
Oh yeah. For them. I don't think there's a, there's a lot of things that there's not preventing and just our access to things and eating healthier and the things that they choose to promote than not and how it's so much easier and cheaper to eat like crap than it is to get something healthy. And that's just, you know, school lunches are horrible. I mean, that I, I can go on and on. I mean, even when I was a kid and I was put on this heart healthy diet before I even got transplanted, I went to the cafeteria lady at school and was like, here, I'm on this diet, whatever. And she just laughed and she said, oh, honey, you're gonna have to bring your lunch because everything we get here gets it's boxed in and all we do is reheat it oh okay so and then you know no wonder kids are you know they become adults to find out they have type 1 diabetes or whatever it's like well that's what you're feeding us you can't even tell me yeah. where it came from you just know I it like, comes in a box yeah and I like that you're bringing up this educational perspective too right because it's mm-hmm. that all of these systems that the government has a hand in feed into one another right yep. and and they feed into our long-term health. And if we are feeding people poorly Mm -hmm. and, you know, creating food deserts because we're Mm not making food and good, healthy food accessible to people because of cost restriction um, and corporate greed, uh, then we are not keeping people healthy and Mm -hmm. we are going to lose people because of it. And in that sense, it's really that the government is responsible for the deaths of these, these individuals that could have been prevented. Oh, 100%. I mean, because you're taking PE out of school. So kids aren't moving around. They're not learning how to exercise. They're not learning how to be active. They're eating bad things and and for lunch. Like, I mean, it it all and it all has to government fund schools. And then the food deserts and having grocery stores in in low income neighborhoods, your only grocery store is like a corner gas station and they only have snacks and cakes. They don't have fresh produce or meats. So their families are having to live off of that because they would have to take a bus and carry that stuff back. So the food deserts and not putting local grocery stores in areas that are less uh, fortunate. So, oh yeah, it's, and it's all one big pot and it just keeps getting stirred. Yeah, absolutely. I can feel the frustration hearing this through, from you. I mean, well, it's, I mean, I've fought this before. I mean, I went yeah. to, uh, and cause I live in Texas. So I went to Austin to lobby about food deserts and trying to get more, uh, grocery stores in food desert areas in our area to try to help out. That's really wonderful. So let's talk about this advocacy work that you do. So you're going and you're lobbying um, locally. You're also helping patients out with shopping and cooking and things like that. And you're the co-host of Unfiltered Survivors podcast. So can you tell us about all of your advocacy work and what this all means to you and how it's impacting the community? Yeah, well, it all started because I became a a Go Red national spokeswoman for the American Heart Association back in 2016. So nationally, I was part of a class of 11 women where we went around the country telling our stories and talking about the importance of heart disease in women and things like that, food deserts, exercising in schools and all that kind of healthy eating and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I submitted recipes. They published like five of my recipes, the American Heart Association. And so it started there. And that's when I started lobbying with them over time. I, you know, obviously I'm a big part of uh, Donate Life and promoting the importance of organ donation. That was before I needed new organs. And now I promote it even more now needing them. Um, But so I just like to help people. That's truly, I think what it all came down to. I truly just like to help people. And I know for so long, I felt very alone because at my age, people couldn't relate to what I was going through. My friends didn't understand what I was going through, why I took 30 different pills a day, 
why steroids made me look like a chipmunk. And it was, it was very unhealthy in high school, I will say. I had just very, very hard time because I had to mature very quickly because my whole life changed and I almost died. So I couldn't relate to them anymore. Prom didn't matter. What boy mattered? Like, I just wanted to live. So when I got out of high school and I was able to go to culinary school and learn about food, I just wanted to help people because I know I didn't know any of this. I grew up with an old school Puerto Rican grandma who didn't really introduce vegetables. I live off of rice and beans and pork. So to be able to learn food and be able to eat better for myself and then be able to teach others because they weren't getting it was important to me. Why I became a chef. As I was working with all these different companies, though, as anyone would know, they're going to filter, filter your story to benefit them. Let's just call it what it is, right? So I'm not going to shy away from that. They're nonprofits. They, they need what they need. We, it's a trade-off, right? They Absolutely. give you, they give you uh, exposure and you give them your story. So I was tired of it being filtered. And I wanted to tell my story my way. And I wanted to help people my way and not through anyone else. So I went to a friend that I met through the American Heart Association who had a stroke, who was a wellness coach and was a CrossFit coach. And she felt kind of the same way. And she was just starting out and telling her story. And I just was like, hey, I have this idea of starting this podcast. And I think you'll be perfect for it. And she kind of freaked out. She didn't want to do it because she just like, I've never been in front of a microphone. She was still learning how to public speak. And I'm very unfiltered. I just say whatever. I don't, I don't care anymore. You can't be through what I've been through and hide. Like you just have to just be honest about it. So I said, I think you can do this. Let's do this. So we started Unfiltered Survivors. And at first it was her and I just telling our story and helping people and giving wellness tips and giving ideas. But then we opened it to other people and all types of survivors. So it's not just heart and stroke based. We've had domestic violence. We've had diabetes. We've had um, a transplants. Um, we even had people who've lost their children. I mean, we, we any kind of survivor that there can think of, we have or are currently getting ready to have on the show because we just want to offer a safe place for someone to tell their story their way, not filtered. It doesn't benefit Kelly and I, however they tell it or don't tell it or choose to say, it doesn't matter. We just want to give an opportunity for someone to tell their story. And if there's someone that needs to hear something from it, they can get that so that you don't feel alone because I felt alone. I mean, I think at anyone, when they have that chronic moment, you begin to feel alone because usually your circle doesn't understand. They will be there and they're supportive, but they don't understand the struggle. And it wasn't until I started meeting other survivors like Kelly and all that, that I felt, oh, you understand. You can understand the good and bad days. And so we want to give that to other people for them to have that moment that they don't feel alone if they're listening to us for 45 minutes. Absolutely. So much of what you're talking about resonates very directly with me because it certainly was the reason behind this podcast too. I mean, it's really amazing to me. I hear story after story, day after day about people going through these health crises um, whether or not they touch their mortality, right? For you, it certainly has touched your mortality. And um, it's amazing to me that in every single story, we want to give back. Yeah. None of us goes through what we go through and then just sits and says, well, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> we all want to create change. We want to be able to normalize the conversations that we have around these diseases and illnesses. And it's amazing to me the the sort of the chutzpah that it gives you, right? When you yeah. get sick, when you yeah. get that sick, you really, 
you step out in a, in a new way and you become kind of, it's sort of like being a butterfly and pupating, yes. isn't it? You know, like, um, because you really are sort of, you get reborn and you have these wings and the wings yep. are the fact that you've been through a harrowing experience and you may continue to be going through that experience, but you're determined to change outcomes for others. Yes. Which I think oh, is 100%. I mean, cause I think to me, it's like, it's a second chance. And now I'm asking for a third, as I like to say, but it's a second chance. So you're like, okay, what didn't I do that now I have this opportunity. It's been given to me. What are you going to do with it? And I just feel like for me, it was like, at first it was just like, okay, I just want to graduate high school because I was so young. But then once I got out, I was like, I feel like I could be doing more and I wanted to do more and it wasn't enough. And as, and even as I continue to do stuff, I still feel like I'm not doing enough. I say this all the time. People are like, you're crazy. Sit down. And I'm like, no, but if I'm here, you might as well just do everything you can to help as many people because when you're gone, you can't do that anymore. And when you don't know, and when you knocked on death's door and you didn't go through, you kind of were like, well, here it is. Like either shit or get off the pot. So you've had this chance, let's do something with it. And I think that's what's driven me for so long. And what I can see, and, and you continue to celebrate the things that you never thought. I never thought I would hit 30. And the fact that I've hit 30 and I'm surpassed it, I'm getting ready to be 32 is a miracle in itself. So every birthday is a big deal. Every transplant year is a big deal. So yeah, I may be relisted, but I'm still going to celebrate the fact that I'm still here 17 years later. That doesn't make a difference to me. I mean, you're a, such a bold person. Is there also fear attached to this idea of this next transplant? Um, there was in the very beginning, there was like, oh, maybe I, there was part of me that didn't think like, oh, do I even deserve a third chance? Like there was part of me that was there. Like mm-hmm. I did everything I could. I had no regrets. I think the only thing I hadn't done was get married. And that isn't a big deal to me, you know? And I was like, but I've done everything I wanted to do. And then I have, was like, but I could still do more. And I really started to think about it. And then I decided to go through the option of getting, you know, evaluated to have this because it was more than that to me. Because, um, but I was ready at 30 to be like, I'm, I'm, it is what it is, right? Uh, now here asking for this third chance, I kind of just, I have no impatience about it. COVID came. So obviously getting transplanted is like, the, like it's lesser right now because of what's happening. Mm. Um, I haven't grew impatient. I just kind of, do what I can and what I can't, I can't. I kind of had that kind of mentality about it. Um, but I don't have any fear. I don't have any worries. Yeah. Sounds um, like you put that aside like, many, many years ago. I, I feel like I put that aside many years ago. And even though when it creeps out, creeps back up, I will say this, that it's kind of like you can either worry or pray, right? You can't do both. So I choose to just pray. Like I know, and I'm, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not the most religious person, but I just have it like this. There's a plan for me, whatever it is, we're just going to go with it and not question it. Because when I was younger and all these people were passing away and I wasn't, I had that moment of like, well, why not me? Why, why am I here? And then I just realized there's a purpose and I have a purpose and it's to help people. So I'm just going to continue to do my purpose and whatever happens is going to happen but I live at, with no regrets and I just do whatever so if I want to whether it's crazy or not we still do it and people laugh like I recently got a skateboard and they're like why do you have a skateboard I'm like why not learn how to skateboard COVID's <laughs> happening I can't go anywhere I have a million bruises but it's something it just yeah. it's something to keep me going I always I'm always learning something new that I will say that was there mental health support along this journey as well throughout your life with this oh, transplant there- 
there's an amazing therapist that gets paid a lot of money that has gotten me <laughs> here. I will say that. I, no, I'm very honest about that. I very much believe that that should go hand in hand when you get a transplant because no one can prepare you for what's about to happen. Because, I mean, the medicines alone cause your mood to go insane, not including everything else. I got a transplant when most people learn how to be social. When you're in high school and you're learning to build friendships and be that, and I was stuck in a hospital. So I developed severe social anxiety because even when I got out of the hospital, I couldn't go to school for over nine months because I couldn't be in large crowds because I had no immune system. So I, my mom was my best friend, but I'm only 15, 16 years old. I'm supposed to be having friends and socials and dating. None of that happened. So I developed extreme social anxiety. And for years, that was a struggle. And eventually I had to really public speaking and telling my story broke that enough that where I could go out and have conversations and make friends and date and all that kind of stuff. But I had a lot of struggle mentally. And I, through the years, had different therapists the help through the different struggles at the time. And even now to this day, even though I'm a lot, I will say better mentally in handling my mental wellness, um, I still have a therapist that I see now just because mm. things happen like a pandemic that'll freak you out when you need a transplant. I mean, it's just, so yeah. it helps continue my growth. Yeah, I really like that you mentioned that. And this is also one of those things that crops up in that transition from pediatric to adult care too, right? Is that in pediatric, often you're given that mental health support and then you get to adult care and no one's handing it out to you. And people don't necessarily take care of their mental wellness. And that's such an important factor when you're dealing with anything chronic like this. Oh yeah. I think that any chronic illness, you're going to have mental uh, health issues just because it's, it's a lot, especially when you literally have one point of thought for your life and you didn't know what was going to happen. Anyone's mental health is going to go anywhere with that. And it has. And if you don't have someone to be able to talk and help you, then that, that makes it a lot harder. And I think that mental health, it, it all goes, like I said, it goes hand in hand because your mental health helps you keep going because you're, you're constantly fighting. I've, I, I don't think I've ever just stopped fighting. I've gone rounds and rounds and rounds. And so if I didn't have that mental health support, it would be really easy to give up and just say, you know what, forget it. I don't want to take this mm. medicine. I'm not going to do it. I, I, they go hand in hand. Absolutely. So as we're talking about that, I'd love to transition into talking about your tips for people who are living with chronic illness, be it chronic heart disease, maybe they're transplant recipients, but anyone who is living this chronic illness, chronic disease life, what would your top three tips be for people who are in that space with you and I? Find a chronic illness friend. Whatever your illness is, definitely go find people who've had it, regardless of their age. Because my mentors are way older than me until more recently that I've found people that are my age. But find that because they're going to be able to tell you their struggles that everyone else cannot. So I definitely say go find someone who's had whatever you've had or have or now having, because I it'll make a world of a difference. Um be easy on yourself. Give yourself grace. It, not every day is going to be a good day and you're allowed to have those bad days. It's okay. You'll wake up the next day and you'll try again, but give yourself grace and don't be so hard on yourself. You're like literally doing the best you can most days and you just don't even realize it. And I will just say, honestly, do your research. And not just WebMD, I'm just like, there's nowadays, there's so much more information than there was back 17 years ago when I started this journey. 
I, there's just so many more opportunities, but I will say definitely do your research in all things in healthcare, in, you know, prescription drugs, side effects, you know, medical professionals, the hospitals you choose to go to do your research because more than likely some of these things you'll be stuck with these people for a very long time. So you literally want the best and what's really going to help you make it through whatever you're going through. Mm, absolutely. And that, that idea about giving yourself grace as well, that second tip you gave, I mean, that's got to really apply when you're coming up against frustration after frustration yeah. with the system, right? Like that's oh, yeah. one of those things where like, how else do you get through it? And how do you keep pushing forward? You give yourself grace and then you take the next step when you're ready. It's that, yes. that, exactly. I mean, it's, it's really about breaking it down kind of more digestively, if you yeah. will. Yeah. What about another top three list? And I think this will be a fun one with you. So top three things that give you unbridled joy. So like, obviously you've had to change your diet to be heart healthy. You've had to change your diet to be kidney healthy recently. Do you have any top three uh, things that you turn to? doesn't have to be food, but you are a chef, right? So anything Mm -hmm. that you turn to when you need a moment of joy, it can be a guilty pleasure, a secret indulgence, a comfort activity. What do you look for and look to when you need to to light yourself up? Um, my number one is baking. I will uh, like when I just, when my mind is going a million miles and I'm upset, baking relaxes me because you have to measure, you have to be precise. We're cooking. I can throw whatever in a pot and it's in mold nine, 10, it works. Um, and it's more freestyle to me where baking is very precise. If you don't have those correct measurements, it's not going to come out right. So that helps relax me. So I definitely say I love to bake. Plus, usually it's something full of chocolate and that'll make me happy when I get to eat it. (laughs) So baking does bring me joy. I think that's probably my number one. Um, Number two for me to just kind of get my happiness is probably reading. I'm a big reader. I do like to read and not just trashy stuff. It's all the same. It just anything, (laughs) I guess, that gets me out of my head and just be able to truly relax um, definitely brings me joy. And then number three is I have uh, nieces and nephews and hanging out with them and being silly with them is always fun. And it lets me be a kid and lets me do things I think I kind of missed because I was always sick. Mm, So getting to enjoy the sillier stuff, whether it's superheroes or having a tea party, just I just enjoy that because I think it gives me stuff to do. And, you know, it gets me to be a kid, which I don't think I fully got to do because of everything happened to me. Absolutely. I, I, I'm glad you bring that up too. this idea that there has been a loss, right? Like that you've mm-hmm. missed a step somehow yeah. um, mm-hmm. in your childhood, but it sounds like you've done the work emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you have this outlet with your nieces and nephews that yes. enables you to reconnect to that inner child and, and really practice forgiveness. Cause I know that there's always that, that, that place where we need to sort of forgive ourselves for having gone through what we've gone through and, yeah. and give ourselves that grace too. Exactly. So yeah, to be able to just know that it, cause it was out of my control. I think that even though I have, you know, at times control issues, this is something I couldn't have changed even if I wanted to. This is literally just the cars that I drew, but I see it as I have the strength because that's why I was given. I was able to do it and go through it and continue to go through this and fight the battle because I have the strength. It's just some days I can't find it, but it's, it's there. It's just, I need, sometimes I need that break to be like, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with it today. Yeah. I'll try again. You can't be fighting all the time. No, it's exhausting. Yeah. So you yes. sleep eventually, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially when there's an unpredictable element there, like as you're saying, yeah. even with the kidney dialysis that you're yeah. going for four days a week right now, it's like, that's something where you don't know how you're going to be feeling afterward too. And you have to give yourself the space to feel what you're going to feel yeah. and then live your life accordingly. 
Exactly. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's getting to be learning how to be spontaneity. Like I don't have, I never had that. I was always a planner because you kind of train that way, transplant wise to take care of yourself and plan your meds and everything. And I was never spontaneous at all. And so now I've learned to be spontaneous where, you know what? I feel great today. Let's go do something. Or other days I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling it. We're going to just relax and watch TV and that's okay. But I had to learn that that's okay to say, no, it's okay. Your friends and your family or whoever is just going to have to understand because you're not feeling it. But I had to learn that. Mm, Absolutely. So what is your ask for listeners today? What can people who are tuning into this episode do to support you and the heart disease community in the work that you're doing? Well, number one is always, you know, uh, if you're not an organ donor, register to be an organ donor. That's always going to be my number one ask, obviously. But um, no, I, for me, it's literally, it's not even so much about supporting me. It's just support each other. Um, If you are someone with chronic illness and you're not really involved in, because everything has either a foundation or a support group or whatever, find that or make one. I definitely think that, you know, continue to help each other. We're, you know, we're actually a large community, but it always feels like it's a small community because you don't find someone like you or what you have every day. So, you know, find that, find your community, build a community, but definitely help each other. And, you know, and then just, you know, give yourself grace. I don't, to me, I don't need anything. I have unfiltered survivors podcast. If you want to give that a listen and listen to me, continue to be unfiltered by all means. I'm all for that. If you want a place to share your story, definitely you can reach out to me. I'm definitely open to give you that platform. But for me, I just think help each other out. I mean, I think that we all need that. Sometimes you just need someone that understands and can listen. And if we can do that for each other, I think that we can continue to build and be a stronger community and continue to fight the system to get what we all need and more support and love and, you know, help truly. Well, it's really that if the system is the thing that's going to break us apart, the only remedy for that is to be together, to band yes, together, exactly. really. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So what's next for you in your advocacy and in your your health journey? Tell us about, we know that there's going to be hopefully a, a, a new transplant coming, um, mm-hmm. but what does the future hold for you, Amanda? Um, well, I want to start baking more. I think I'm going to go back and get my baking and pastry degree along with wow. my culinary degree so I can bake and give that option to people to be able to have still sweet treats, even regardless of your situation. Um, but really just continue to help people. We, I'm going to, when I can travel, I'm going to travel more and continue to teach classes and expand my helping out of just like the Houston, Texas and Texas range and go into more cities and states and continue to help people and, you know, give them that help that they need because they definitely reach out from all over the world. But to be able to go and help people one-on-one, I think will benefit even more. Absolutely. And hopefully there will be this transplant that happens, you mentioned before we started the interview that you need to get the transplant from a single person. So it'll have to be a cadaver rather than a living donor, obviously. Correct. Mm. I need the kidney and heart from the same person. It's just less antibodies, which is less potential for rejection. So it's the same person. So that made it a little bit harder. It makes it a little bit harder kidney wise because they all have to be in the same place. But it, I think that it, it'll work out better that way. And it's just one surgery and it'll, you know, whatever. Mm. But COVID is really, it is what it is. Transplants are still happening with COVID. It's right. just not as often, I guess is how I should put well, that. Well, it's like they're more, they're more necessary. Like it's sort of, they're more down to the wire and, and yes. must happen. Otherwise they don't happen. 
Yes. So the good thing is I am at, I'm waiting at home and not in the hospital. So I do get to still enjoy my everyday life and you know, with my friends and family and my boyfriend. So there is that comfort of knowing that. And I just, I'm patient when, when it's time for it to happen, it'll happen. In the meantime, I can do what I can from home the best way that I can. Well, Amanda, is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone? Oh, I just want to thank you for having me. I enjoyed oh, this. This was fun. Such an honor. And remind everyone where they can find you as well. Uh, uh, chef with a heart at Instagram. And that's also my email, chef with a heart at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me. And then Unfiltered Survivors also has an Instagram. And you can listen to the podcast on all of podcast podcast platforms like Apple, um, Google, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. We're all on there if you want to give our show a listen. So Amazing. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. And I'm yes. really excited to continue to follow your journey and hope that there is a transplant coming for you. The right one that's meant for you is coming yes. your way and will Thank come you. at the right time. Yes. Um, and <laughs> yes, we're going to manifest it and we're going to look forward to, you know, watching the updates um, from the, uh, from the surgery room, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, keep cooking um, and keep in touch. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Yes. Thank you for having me. That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.